0: I'm just very, very raw, real and true but sometimes a little bit too dark and a little bit too naughty for people but I think that is a Mancunian thing.
1: Meet Rowetta, one of the people that has put the heart and soul into modern Manchester. She's represented Manchester on the global stage as a singer with the Happy Mondays. She was the last woman standing in the first series of The X Factor and she's played herself on screen twice, including in the film 24-Hour Party People, which was all about Manchester. So yes, you'll know Rowetta as the woman with that voice, but she's much more than that. Her story of growing up in Manchester is eye-opening and as a result she never stops giving back to Manchester. She does a lot for charity for animal charities, working with prisoners, and for Manchester's famous Christie Hospital. So I wanted to know where her resilience comes from and how has she navigated the music industry over decades. And I just wanted to know what it was like being in the mix of Manchester's music scene back then. I think you'll find she delivers some very rock and roll stories on this podcast. I'm Lisa Morton, founder of Roland Transfield PR, And this is We Built This City. Rowetta, welcome to We Built This City. Thank you. You're a born and bred, proud Mancunian, and it's obvious that Manchester runs deep within your veins. It's also very clear for anybody to see how passionate you are. So first of all, tell me, what is it about Manchester that's always had your heart?
0: Well, I've always lived here, so it's what I know. Um, it's the people, um, not so much the place because the place can change. So it really is the people for me. But I've I've never lived anywhere else. Um, I travel a lot, but I've never lived anywhere else. So it's what I know. And so coming home for me has always been Manchester. So yeah, I'm I'm a proper Mancunian through and through. But it's as I say, it's all I know really. So if we had a beach, I wouldn't even travel as much. And <laughs> I don't I like the weather even here. I really do.
1: You like it a bit cool don't you he said i do
0: yeah when the weatherman so the weather girl says and um, the weather's going to be bad i'd like yes <laughs> the, the sun's going to go brilliant because <laughs> manchester isn't meant to be hot and sunny and humid um and i think that's one of the reasons that i get so much done i love living here for working and um i think there's a spring in my step when i'm here because i'm not too hot all the time
1: well, you expect Manchester to have a grey sky, don't you? So I think it's one of those attractive things no, about it.
0: <laughs> no, it's not always grey. No, I don't like <laughs> people saying that because people really think it always does rain and it's always grey. But, you know, I mean, like last year, it was sunny a hell of a lot, you know, during lockdown. It was a fantastic, the weather. And when Manchester's sunny, I don't think there's many places better. So, um, yeah, no, when the sun shines, though, here, people t- straight away, a lot of the lads to take the tops off and <laughs> they don't need to, and girls straight away put, you know, bikini tops, on Even if they're going to nightclubs because it's been sunny that day, as we used to be like, it can still be about sixteen degrees, but everyone dresses as if it's twenty-five degrees. And that's another thing I like about Manchester. I think we are just really unique in a way. But people are funny without even knowing it more than other cities, I believe, in other countries.
1: I think I've heard you say before that when you're on a plane or in the airport coming home from somewhere, and there are other manks in the waiting lounge, that that's just reminds you of home, and it's all those Manx conversations you hear going around that you might have missed for a couple of weeks.
0: Absolutely. Um, everybody who lives away from Manchester, I think they miss the humour the most, the dryness, the sarcasm. There's other places that are similar, but I think we're unique in that, in the sarcasm. I know our drummer from Happy Mondays, he lives in Canada now, and that's the thing he misses the most, because people don't get sarcasm, they don't get the humour. I know I get myself in trouble because I've got absolutely no filter <laughs> a lot of the time. I just say what I think and I don't really care because I've got a good heart, You know, I don't mean bad. So um, just things come out that sometimes shouldn't. I'm just very, very raw real and true but sometimes a little bit too dark and a little bit too naughty for people and <laughs> i think that is a mancunian thing a lot of people know with happy mondays with our band um, i know they're from salford some of them but um same thing to me yeah it's um the humor and either people either get it or they don't fortunately at the moment people are starting to get it more than they used to i think because they're seeing more mancunians on television and things and and being a bit more worldly wise uh, because of the internet so people get us more But um, back in the day, like Coronation Street, the women in Coronation Street in the old days when it was really brilliant. Ina Sharples and Minnie Caldwell, those days, they were fantastic and very typical of
1: Manchester. Absolutely. And it reminds me of when I I grew up in Salford and and the women in our kind of locality, they, they were all like that. The matriarchs, you know, they ran the community and they were absolutely fantastic. So I can really relate to that.
0: Yeah, Definitely. And That's that's how it was, though, and it was um, it, it was really, really important, but it's the humour of them. And even now, when I listen to talk radio shows in Manchester, and you can just, when it, when an older woman comes on, and older men as well, I'm not going to just knock the men, but when they come on and they're just telling a story or they ring up to speak to Andy Burnham and complain <laughs> about something, it's hilarious, <laughs> because they rang up three weeks ago and asked about the gas being turned off one day, and then they say, you said you'd sort it out. Nobody's wrong, and, and it's like, it's just brilliant. He's the mayor, and it, they expect him to sort it out. You know, I'll, I'll try and get something done, Elsie. So they ring back and say you didn't do it. The gas is still faulty. The cook is still not working, and it's just—I just love it. And I, don't, I think it's like nowhere else
1: except the character. Yeah. So you were born at Crumpsall Hospital. So tell me about the early days growing up in North Manchester.
0: I grew up um, Miles platin for a bit, and then Cheetham Hill. Cheetham Hill is where I would remember most. Going to school at Temple same as my mum and my grandma I think both went to Temple school I don't think it's there now he yeah, had a great time at Temple and I found there's a wonderful teacher called Miss Wilson and I was definitely her favourite and that was when I was about six and it meant everything because my mum worked a lot and I was looked after by my auntie more so being made to feel special at school was you know it was great it was an incentive to go and made me very interested in everything and um, I remember looking at photographs from back then and never noticing the color of people but nearly everybody was of a color there were hardly any white people on my high school photos but they were all different shades of every <laughs> brown and and it was like i was i was in between the two best friends but we never talked about what color we were usher ben patel and julie brown you know you can tell which what colors they were by the names you know and Addie MC on the other end my mum and dad were both african but we just didn't ever discuss race and i think that was a great way to grow up in Cheatham Hill. That it wasn't a thing. It did become a thing just before I moved from Cheetham Hill when I was about eight, I think, because my mum married this guy called Oliver, who is from Barbados, and he works at Stepping Hill Hospital. And remember when he moved in with my mum and when he moved in with us and his children in Cheatham Hill. He wanted to move because somebody Asian moved next door. And he was from Barbados. <laughs> it's like a little racist stepdad. So we moved to Presswich to a very white area. But I did love Oliver, so you know, and he and he loved me. So it's nothing wrong with him. But it's just funny back then that we actually moved because it was one of the most multicultural places, Cheatham Hill. I just loved it. You know, I didn't feel any trouble. Didn't see any of that side of it. I just saw really just going to school that was positive. And I just love this family life. And um, my uncle Michael's blind and deaf and his wife, Ada, used to pick me up from school every day. And I just used to say to people, though, that she's not my mum because she had the squeakiest voice. And she, was, <laughs> and she had um, an Arthur Scargill comb over. So when the wind blew it, blew, it blew it the other way. So I used to come out of school going, that's not my mum, but my uncle Michael's blind and deaf. So he didn't hear her, he didn't see her. But she was great though, Ada. But she used to get quite a lot of money because he was blind and deaf and she'd leave us outside the bookies, me and my uncle Michael. And she'd buy him roast beef and me sweets. And we'd just sit there eating sweets and roast beef every night after school. Oh, sweets and roast beef? Yeah, while she's putting money on the horses. It was funny.
1: Oh, I love that. I've got a great image of it.
0: Yeah, but I lo- I loved it, you know, because she's bought me sweets every day. What she's doing is rotting my teeth away.
1: <laughs> well, in Salford, we were only allowed sweets once a week. I think it was a Saturday, and you could go and we had like a penny twist or whatever. And that was, and then we were allowed to have fruit from the greengrocer's on the Wednesday. Um, but it was a massive treat. Yeah, it was different in those days. It wasn't all on tap. It
0: wasn't that. It's was because my auntie was addicted to gambling. That's why, that's why I got sweets. <laughs> yes, buying
1: you off. Yeah. So I mean, happy days, and and then what what was it like then when you went to Barry? Because you you obviously family were proud that you you got your way into Barry, didn't you? Qualified? Berry and Grammar, yeah. Uh, pass the exams. I did, yeah. Because I
0: remember, I found the eleven plus really easy. I used to get books on how to pass the eleven plus, and then when I did the Barry Grammar exams, it was an English exam, um, and a maths exam, and a general knowledge exam. You know, I didn't find them very difficult, and I think there's only two or three of us passed from our year, so it was, it was a big thing, you know. And they're all girls, which is great. And also then to get in, I had to pass an interview with this wonderful headmistress, Miss Lester. And if she hadn't have been wonderful, I wouldn't have wanted to go because it was, I think it was £600 a term. And this is 40 something years ago. It was a lot of money, you know, and it probably caused a lot of the breakdown of my mum and stepdad's marriage, you know, worrying about the money. Because it went up £200 a term every year. But um, it was great as long as Miss Lester was there. But then Miss Lester left and another head teacher came, Miss Batty, and I hated her. She hated me <laughs> because I used to say hello when I went to the boys' school. Cross the road, because the swimming baths were across the road in the boys' school, and so was the canteen. But as soon as I saw someone's brother or someone I fancied, I'd say hiya. And I got caught saying hiya every single time. And I'd have to go to Miss Patty's office, and other people said hiya. But they didn't get done. (laughs) I didn't even say at the time that I felt it was racist. But when I think about it, I was the only black girl. And I think, though, whether it was racism or not, if you're in a crowd of white people, it's easy to spot the black one. You know, we took some raspberry buns out of the cooking area, one each, out of some of these baskets, and they only saw me doing it. So I got done for nicking 12 raspberry buns and only had one. All my friends <laughs> took one each, but they only saw, they could only definitely say it was definitely me. So I ended up having to eat my lunch in Miss Batty's office every day. Oh, no. And any time I said hello to a boy, I'd get dragged out of maths. And even, even my teachers were saying it was, it was out of order how she was treating me. So I ended up leaving. Yeah, and I took my dogs in the day that I decided to leave. I had these two chihuahuas. <laughs> and Miss um, Battis was trying to tell me that she was going to expel me that day. So I made sure I didn't get expelled and I left so it wouldn't go on my notes that I was expelled. <laughs> it, she couldn't expel me because I'd already left. I'd already said goodbye to everyone.
1: But the school after Berry Grammar, didn't you have a teacher who supported you there?
0: Yeah, just taken my English and Maths o level at Berry Grammar. I did okay in those. I think I got B's in both. And then I left and went to Unsworth Comp Where boys were, which was amazing. (laughs) Yeah, but I'd never got in the choir or anything at Berry Grammar or the primary schools because I stood out too much and nobody ever got it or saw the music in me. The kids all did, though, remember at Berry Grammar. The kids, I used to sing to them with my guitar. And on my final day, I sang them a song called the Blues Song, the Toilet Blues, which I sang in um, music, which is why I never got asked to do anything in music because I sang about um, my mum doing a poo, you know, going to the loo. And it was like, and it was the Toilet (laughs) Blues. It was like, the blues, the blues, the toilet blues. And that's why I'm singing the blues. It's all stuff like that. So I wet my knickers because mum was on the toilet so long. I wet my knickers. And that's why I'm singing the blues. So, so um, I wasn't allowed to be in the choir again that year. So music was never taken seriously until I met Mrs Roach. And honestly, I hardly ever went to school once I'd gone to um, Unsworth Camp. I was in the Arndale Northern School and had started to glue sniff because the lad came to school from Norway who introduced me to glue. Introduced everybody to glue, but nobody else liked it the way I did. And probably because like, my mum had a boyfriend who didn't like children when I was 14. So she just disappeared every weekend because Alan doesn't like children. And it's like, mum, I'm 14 and I'm on my own every weekend and I'm having parties every weekend and I'm glue sniffing. Yeah, so my life was a bit of a mess. And then my friend was in Threepenny Opera, so I went to go and audition for Threepenny Opera and I got a little part and Mrs Roach just happened to hear me she was stood next to me, heard me singing in the chorus and went, oh, my gosh, you've got an amazing voice. And she loved the way that I acted. And then um, she asked me to come back and have like a little meeting with her in the dinner time. And I was like, I wasn't I was actually planning to go to the Arndale that day, but I'll come in for you. And that's what I used to do. She would create, certainly in the fifth year, musicals around me. You know, we'd have the mayor come and watch. There was one called Trouble in Tahiti where it was, I think there was only five people in the musical. It's a jazz opera. It was fantastic. And I was the leading character, diner, And it just gave me so much confidence. When you know you're good at something, I realised, wow, I can really act and sing and capture a crowd and realised that buzz that I got from the audience. The only time I felt completely happy was when I was on stage and an audience was cheering me. And when I came off and all the love you get, And people saying, oh, got goosebumps. And that used to happen to me every time I got on the stage. So Mrs. Roach, she just gave me so, so much confidence.
1: Wasn't there one time, though, when you had a bit of a wardrobe mishap? What happened then?
0: Yeah, it was God in one. And I just dyed my hair purple and and I washed it and it went pink with them crazy (laughs) colours. And I was worrying about what to wear to play God. Um, And I was the narrator and I was singing almost all the way through this thing, but I just didn't know what to wear. And she said, just wear a sheet. Cause I, and I was like, right, okay. So I'd spoken to her on the phone. She said, just please come in though, you know, to the actual performance because I'd missed some of the rehearsals. I was like, I will, I will, I will, I'll come. So I went with a sheet, but my hair was pale pink. It was like, it was a mess because I bleached it. It went almost white, but with a diarrhoea tinge to it. So I put purple over it. And it was like the, uh, and she just got it and didn't care about my hair. So I went to see the head teacher who just said, I need to cover up my hair because it's not right for school. So uh, my mum went and took me to the underground market to buy a black wig because you couldn't get them back then. It was like the Supremes, them shiny short wigs they wore. It looked terrible. (laughs) Anyway, I put that on for school. And remember, I was glue sniffing as well. The state of me must have been a right mess. And (laughs) and everyone was just going, oh, your hair looks nice. (laughs) Have you stretched? What have you done to it? And I was like, oh, I relaxed it. So everyone was believing me, apart from Mrs. Roach. She said, what have you got in your head? Take it off. It looks terrible. And then she told me where to go and get a better one which was better, until I went off for a walk with some boy, Billy, and my wig got stuck to a tree. So. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: there's a couple of observations there. One is that the um, Arndell Underground was just like the place you could get anything from, couldn't you, any emergency. And also the fact that everybody needs a Mrs Roach. I mean, it's incredible. People I speak to is was so often there's what one person in your life that changed your life for you. Yeah. Just by being there and, and recognising the talent and taking the time to understand what kind of lights your fire and captures your imagination Then those people are so important in our lives.
0: Absolutely they really are some people are really lucky you know we've got parents and money and stuff to get them going and go to this school and that school and anything they want and a lot of people thought that because I went to Sperry Grammar that I'd had any of that and it was nothing like that. I had a dad who's a politician in Nigeria who said he'd pay my school fees that's why I went in the first place to impress him you know, it really did impress him that I'd passed this exam and he promised to pay and he never paid the school fees. I think it was difficult to get money out of Nigeria, probably. But he just used to send quite a well, 500 quid check every year, once a year at mm. Christmas, and um, which my mum let me keep. So it caused loads and loads of problems for me. And for the music, I think, my, you know, my mum... She tried a little bit. She just in honesty, she used to be distracted a little bit by the boyfriend she had, probably. And so like when I wanted to go to dance or anything like that, it wasn't always about the money. It was just that nobody could take me or yeah. you know, and she made up for it later on. When when I used to sing in the club, she used to take me to all the clubs. We'd mm-hmm. have the baby in the car, she'd look after my baby Georgina. So she did make up for it. But when I was really that budding talent, it needed some nurturing, it needed some just Mm. a little bit of encouragement and i didn't get really get any to be honest until mrs roach for my music and without her i don't think i'd have realized well i don't know because there was another lady who did it as well and when my mum had to she got a job behind the bar at a pub across the road because we couldn't afford the school fees and there was a lady there dot who was the landlady and i used to sit upstairs because i was only 13 and she was actually the one who said get down on that stage before mrs roach she told me to get down and get on the stage because she heard me singing along to the radio so um that was the, probably the first time i got up and realized it's something it's like a gift it's come mm-hmm. from nowhere with my voice i don't know what it is i was only i don't know what song i sang really i think it might have been the wheel of fortune by k-star and um which a lot of people don't know that song but i used to sing it all the time. it made people cry for the right yeah. reasons and um yeah, and it was just, just I couldn't believe this. It was like they thought I was Shirley Bassey back then or <laughs> Tina Turner, the response <laughs> they gave me. I couldn't believe it. And I couldn't believe what was coming out of my mouth. It was like, honestly, a gift from nowhere because oh. I've never had a le- singing lesson. Mm. But then it just it came from nowhere. I was doing comedy songs. And then this came out, this proper, proper voice. Yeah, and it was like, again, uh, this lady really believed me, but she died shortly after she died a couple of weeks later from cancer, which broke my heart. And then I didn't really sing again until, yeah, Mrs Roach probably.
1: Just a lovely story that, and the fact that you had no idea that you had that talent is amazing. I could not have
0: had people putting me off any more. My mum used to say, "Shut up all the time, <laughs> <laughs> shut up and <I'm> watch in
1: telly <laughs> all the time." <laughs> oh, but you're so determined, even after coming through some really difficult times. When it came to the singing, you made use of every opportunity that came your way, didn't you?
0: Yeah, I just come out of a battered wives' home, which mm. I don't go on about that too much. But I come out of a battered wives' home and restarted mm. singing again. And it was actually incredible that you know when you just meet the right people at the right time. Yeah. I just decided I've never had a job. I've got two babies and I've been a battered wife, so so I get myself a little job to meet people in Manchester because I'd left Bury and left all my friends, and I just wanted to meet people. And actually, my taxi cost more than my wages, so it was like, what am I doing? But it was like I did get I did get loads of tips, and, and one for yourself used to be my the, my favourite <laughs> yes. to say every night <laughs> all the time. Yeah. And one for yourself, and you say what do you say. One for myself. <laughs> whiskey go on then yeah and it was um but and i liked it It was this place called richfields and i made loads of friends there and everything and then i was just singing along as you do and a guy called dave in, who i think he manages doves now Mm. but back then yeah he's just set up a record label called dfm and he was looking after these two lads in vanilla soundcore and he was just said would you fancy singing with them and i did do and that's we did we made 500, I think, of this record, Back Where We Belong. But it got reviews from people like Mike Pickering and Mm -hmm. it was reviewed in Record Mirror and Enemy and Melody Maker and Sounds. And the review was really great of this record and everybody wanted to get hold of one of these white labels of Back Where We Belong. And that's I did one gig at the boardwalk and Bruce Mitchell was doing the lights that night and he just thought it was incredible. And he told Elliot Rashman, who managed Simply Mm -hmm. Red, that you must sign this girl. And so that's how I got signed, uh, just from this one gig. It was brilliant. And then I got a publishing deal when I was with Elliot, which I ended up having to get myself because he was so busy looking after Simply Red. Um, I was starting to arrange my own meetings. That's why I'm really good at doing stuff like that now. I was like saying to Warner Chapel, can I speak to you after I've spoken to Virgin? and, you know, <laughs> and, then, and- which I really was speaking to those two but I added in a load of others as well you know like and then and then I'm going to go to RCA which I wasn't really you know so I was just making up as well and EMI want me epic everybody I was just and then yeah and then they said well how much have they offered you so I just put on you know a few more thousand to make sure I got a nice little advance because at that time they were just signing loads of things from Manchester so it was great and you know it enabled me to put down a deposit on a house so which I needed to do because I'd just come out of a women's aid refuge mm. and my ex-husband had found me in my flat that I'd, I was really happy and in Charlton and he came out of prison and found me so I just had to move so it all happened really thank god at the right time yeah. where I could um, start again.
1: So didn't you see the Happy Mondays around then yeah and that's when you knew you wanted to sing with them?
0: So Happy Mondays was just something I went, oh, wow. Everything was just happened perfectly for me. But well, as soon as I saw Happy Mondays on this TV programme, Tony Wilson programme, The Other Side of Midnight, And mm, um, doing that. a song called Performance, I just was like, wow, this is the band. And only met Bez briefly before. He fancied me and I was like, what a weirdo. He looked like, or what, um, but I can't say what he looked like. <laughs> he, 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 he looked... He looked very very hungry his cheeks were very sunken um and his eyes were very big and out of his head and he was like just not attractive to me I all this if you ever seen the pictures of bez back then and it was just a bit scary and i was on the stage and his eyes were popping out of his head looking at me because he thought these denim shorts i had on which were denim and they were dangly bleached i'd thrown bleach on them because i was i used to dress very punk and they were just frayed shorts and he thought the fraying was my pubic hair white sticking out of the <laughs> denim shorts? And I went, I said, even now he still says I'm lying. I said, Best of were white and they were cotton, it was denim. <laughs> <laughs> Black girls don't have long white denim <laughs> pubes. But yeah, he fell in love with my pubes. He's like, he couldn't take his eyes off me. And and then when we, I said I had to say to him, if you carry on, I'm going to tell your girlfriend, because he was doing it in the Asienda, he was still looking at me, went to Asienda afterwards, just looking between my legs, basically. And he was like, ew so when I saw the band the first time I was like wow this band that's the band that's the, I should be with these i just got this really warm feeling until they did a close-up on Bez and So I saw his, Oh, oh no it's that guy <laughs> oh no apart from that I think they're brilliant but then you think he might just be a dancer you know he might not be in the band he might just be dancing with them I had the same agent my group Vanilla Soundcore we had the same agent as Happy Mondays luckily called Brian and he was friends with McCutnell as well from Simply Red. So I went with him to a witness to see Happy Mondays. It was just brilliant. I knew then this is the band I have to sing with, at least mm. give it a go. I thought I could be like Gloria from T-Rex. Mm. That's all I kept thinking. At last I found a role, a group that just perfect for me. I get away with singing The way I do without being trained, without copying, sounding like anybody, people know my voice, people Mm. sample my voice. It's um, a big compliment from somebody who just didn't grow up thinking I'm going to be a singer at all. It's just a fantastic gift I have been given.
1: You have a lot of freedom, don't you, in terms of the way and the types of music that you perform. And one of the things I think about Manchester, it's obviously it's in our DNA, but normally when we've got a crisis in our hands, we tend to come together and music's the thing that gets us through it. But this year, well, with the pandemic, that's in the first time in history, we've not been able to come together. So how was that for you as a performing artist
0: it's been terrible without being able to perform. And, and then you realise, but I always have said this, that, you know, that's the biggest high I've ever had. That's mm-hmm. what makes me want to sing. Being on stage was when I felt loved, really. Yeah. And um, I didn't realise, I mean, it was breaking me, actually, I, as it got longer and longer. I was fine at the beginning because the best thing about lockdown for me was that all the people who are normally touring and away, and I'm normally busy, you always say you'll work with these people. You don't work with them because mm-hmm. we're always away. And it's very difficult to find time to write with people, especially if they're in the other side of the world or whatever. But because of lockdown, I got to work with and write with a lot of people and release quite a few tunes. It was sad it was lockdown, but people like Salado, Oliver Heldens, Todd Terry, Kenny Dope. I did lots and lots of, lots of tunes with people during lockdown and wrote with loads of people and a lot of new house producers and DJs because everybody had more time than mm. normal. So I've created lots and lots of new music and wrote loads, which I wouldn't normally have done that much, you know. Yeah. I've had release after release. I've got stuff coming out next week and the week after, and it's it's amazing that
1: yeah. And I've spoken to a lot of people and artists who have who did use that time to move their careers on in a different way and look at new opportunities. But you've been massively busy, haven't you, in terms of performing yeah. since uh, restrictions have ended.
0: Yeah, really. I, mean, I was looking at how people were saying, oh, we've got all these bookings, like especially DJs. And I was like, oh, I've only got a few. And, you know, I mean, when it was a lot of things were penciled in but not confirmed or they were being rescheduled. And I was worrying with the Mondays, because you just didn't know, because we had quite a few uh, gigs lined up for June, mm. including Glastonbury, and yeah. they all got cancelled. That's when I did think, I don't think I can cope anymore with this. And mm. then you think, I wonder if our gigs we got at an arena tour with James at the end of the year. What if that doesn't happen? Mm. So I just thought, I'm not going to sit and mope even though there's restrictions with traveling are there, I'm going to go to a beach where maybe do a few a few gigs there, you know, a couple of parties. And then you realize you can't do any parties there. There's no dancing still there. Mm. Um, you know, so it's like, but but I just made sure that I enjoyed my time, seeing my friends, seeing the people you really need to see, want to see, making little plans. And then all of a sudden, boom, I had six gigs in, I think mm. first week back I had six gigs because then gorillas came along and said, well, I us sing with them with Sean. Well, sing Dare at the O2, one for the NHS and one for a full O2 full of Gorillaz fans. Unbelievable. Yeah, that's my, amazing. You know, first few weeks back and it's like, and it was so it's six gigs in a week and <laughs> I couldn't believe it, but I, that's what I love and I didn't feel tired, and I was just buzzing for the next one and buzzing for the next one. I was just loved it. I think I'm better busy than not. Mm. You know, I'm. I, we did a 30-day tour before lockdown and I thought I would struggle on that. And I found it much easier than when we were younger, to be honest, because probably because we don't spend too much time with each other now. I love bears and everything. But, you know, we used to, as a band, be always on a tour bus together all the time. And there was too many arguments when it's like that. Now it's just so much easier. Loads mm. of chilling in hotel rooms, you know, and spending time with... The bandmates, you like spending time with going for dinner with them and stuff. And when you're older, there's no drug addiction anymore from people. Arguments about nothing, you know, between Sean and Paul Ryder because they don't spend any time <laughs> together. So it's just it's just easy and I spend loads of time with Best Mate. Best. So I'm just loving the touring with the Mondays. But being busy on my own, I love the variety I've got now with Happy Mondays, then doing house music and doing, you know, different clubs, doing balls, doing, you know, singing Indie type stuff, me yeah. and Bez do nights and things. And it's, I feel like I'm really, really lucky to be in this place now. It's come out of lockdown at last and being recognized, actually, yeah. which, because I didn't used to, I used to get overlooked a lot. I think it's since social media a bit where I've been actually doing something about when I get sampled, making sure everybody knows that's me and making sure I get paid for it, recognized for it, not always credited for it. But if a DJ plays a tune or a Swedish house mafia do a massive gig in front of, about sometimes 100,000 people, when they play my song, I will get a clip of it and put it up and let everyone know that's my voice. And it is important. And I think ever since I've been doing that, I've started to recognize and that's when you get the big names wanting to work with you. And it's been amazing. And people know now that I'm a writer. I'm not just mm, somebody who sings. Yeah. I stop people calling me anything to do with being a background singer and make sure that I'm respected as a singer and a woman, songwriter and, you know, entertainer, and that I really do work hard. I don't just Mm. go to a gig, turn up and get off and take the money. That's not me. I put my effort in. I don't go on stage half knowing the words not really knowing what I'm doing. And and no offence to Sean, because that's his thing. He likes his autocue. But um, no, I know exactly what I'm doing. I do, I really do rehearse.
1: There's no doubt you're an utter grafter. And that's why the past 18 months have been so difficult for you, haven't they? Yeah, I've never lost
0: hope because I almost lost hope years ago. And it's a really bad place to be in like that. And so I try never to be like that. It was just difficult because there was no sign of seeing when the end was this time yeah. with, with the music. You just think I can't really can't cope any longer because I realised how important that being on stage thing is for me. And at the minute, I mean, when I had that week of gigs, I just felt myself again. I just felt you just—it's you feel complete. Mm. I mean, I feel loved anyway. I've got a lot of friends and stuff, and I need that other kind of love, that one. And it's not adoration even. It's just I think it's um, acknowledgement and credit for what you do, and you know, and feeling worth worthy because I didn't get any when I was younger, probably yeah. that's probably it. And it's like, now I've been asked to do a book by a couple of people and I've got publishers asking me, and it's like, that that's important. And I've never been ready before, but I think probably because of lockdown, um, I might be ready because now I'm in a really, really good place, mm-hmm. but I could never have done a book before because I just... My head wasn't in the right place even before lockdown. Even though I was happy on the surface, I think I had too many friends. I was traveling too much. I was doing too much all the time. And I think it's good sometimes to, I mean, I didn't want the lockdown to last this long but all the 18 months it was or whatever without gigs and things i think it was a really good thing you know to step back mm-hmm. and just write and be creative was great and i think i could have done a year quite happily like that it's just after that yeah oh, i can't do it, it ridiculous anyway, isn't it so thank where... god it was that
1: <laughs> well can you know the the excitement's in your voice and, and obviously you know it must be amazing now to be able to get back to what you love so much Rowetta let's talk about values when you're living in the public eye one of the things you maybe have to manage a bit differently I suppose is relationships and you've said that you probably not had the support you needed when you were a young girl so where do you think you found the values that you live by and your resilience?
0: Well it's definitely a Mancunian thing I think Mm. also like there's a lot of my mum's not the strongest woman but my grandma was really strong Um, and also I don't know I go around with a lot of lads a lot of strong funny lads um, more than girls, probably. Because of the job that I do, though, it's because I'm in the Mondays and stuff, so a lot of our mates are boys. And then the girls that are like that, I just, you know, we bond straight away. Any strong women, we really, really do. Um, so I've got a lot of female friends. But well, they take time, because I remember I left my, I left where I lived and lost a lot of my friends mm-hmm. when you move. I, I had to cut myself off from all the friends that i gained up to, well, I left my ex-husband when I was 21. I lost all my friends when I left Bury. Uh, because I couldn't contact them. And we didn't have mobile phones then either. Mm. I've reconnected with some of my friends from back then, but it's never the same. You know, we went to school together, but loads has happened since then. Yeah. Anybody from that area, from where I used to live, I just I had to, I did have to cut them off and it was hard, but I had to start again from fresh. And then you end up with too many friends and too many people using you, to be honest, for all sorts. And too many friends not really treating you with respect or the way you should be. And that, I think, over lockdown and just before lockdown... That's what I wasn't really happy about. I think some of the people that were around me. And so what I'm now, I'm just, I'm only, I've only really, I think I've managed to get rid of anyone who, who was fake or annoys me, if they're making you feel negative about anything or pu- trying to put you down in any way, you need to get rid of them. And that's made me a ma- much more happy person mm. now. And so, yes, the gigs coming back have been brilliant, but the gigs have come back without them hangers on. And there's, some of them are straight back saying, can they be can able to get you just- oh, <laughs> Yeah, I've not heard from them since the last gig. <sighs> You know,
1: it's like, get lost. Yeah, we say the amount of people, that can you just, and you've not heard from people for so long. And then when something comes up and we've got, you know, I always say to our team, you've got to make sure you put more in than you take out and that's with, you know, relationships too. So one of of our values is no dickheads. And I think if you can try and work on removing them, the world's a much happier place and you've got your boundary, haven't you? And you feel...
0: yeah. It's worse than dickheads though. Dickheads are can some there's some people that some funny are a bit, a bit, yeah, a bit of a dickhead, <laughs> yeah, uh, just yeah, but you know you can buzz off them. It's yes. a place for dickheads. No, I, know right. I can be a dickhead as well. We can yeah. all be. You know, mm-hmm. I'm lucky though because I've worked with a lot of the people I've worked with for years and years and years. So we know each other backwards. We're like family. So we, you know we don't have to have the same things in common, but we do actually most of us like each other. The people that I've worked with for years. It's the ones that sometimes you know because management and stuff like that and people working for management and you think oh they won't last long probably i know they won't last but it can't be because of me because then i'll look bad so i have to just <laughs> bite, my lip, bite the tongue and let them let them ruin themselves and they do so it's not not wishing them well it's just that there's a lot of people because i can see through a lot of people like that they don't necessarily like me because a lot if I don't like people they usually don't like me
1: I so. mean you talk about your relationship with and clearly and that's been a you know a friendship that's lasted for a very long time and I think Manchester is a place that is built on those connections and those relationships and when they're good they're brilliant and the normally yeah. people do are very supportive I think in this city but Are there any more relationships, obviously, that have been really important to you over the years? Just, you know, people have made you happy or people have really supported your career, obviously, you know, your teachers at school, but who's kind of stood out for you?
0: I've got a lovely friend, a girlfriend called Vicky, who's like, not really that much in common or anything. She's just the sweetest person in the world. I've known her for years and years and years. And we go out, she's like in Manchester. I go out with her more than anybody else. Um, And yeah, because she's just really, really loyal, really genuine and just really sweet. And, you know, and I just she's just a lovely lovely girl and um, that's what you want in a friend I don't discuss any problems with her very often but she's one of the first people who will ask me if she thinks something's wrong Mm. I just I just don't really I I am the sort I sort it out myself things like that but I really really love her and I think it's important to have a friend like that like on my birthday where it was lockdown you know I went to the park with Vicky and my dogs and it was lovely (laughs) we literally just went to the park on my birthday it's in January I normally go away I wasn't allowed to go to Valencia I always go to Spain on my birthday because it's better over there because they celebrate the 5th of January my birthday because it's three kings so yeah. yeah we just went for a walk in the park and had a lovely lovely morning you know probably only for an hour or two mm. and the weather wasn't I think it was snowing but it was uh, it was lovely and that's like a proper proper friend because loyalty to me is everything and um, I know that's one of the things on the list yeah um, but loyalty is the one that stood out for me probably the most. And the problem with me, though, a lot of people have been really disloyal and they stand out more than the ones who are loyal sometimes and it's a shame. But, um, yeah, no, I've got a lot of friends, though, that I've known for years in other countries more than Manchester now, I would say. So. Somebody,
1: somebody said to me the other day, um, the expression, let me down, was it? Let me down once, more fool you. Let me down twice, more fool me. And I thought, it's such Amazing, a good, yeah. it's such a good, you're right, you know. And I know, and-
0: but, well, you are right, but sometimes you should give people yeah. loads and loads of chances if, if you if you like them. And again, if they've got a heart that's that's good as gold, really, because everyone can make mistakes and everyone can make loads of mistakes. I know criminals who've who've gone to prison, come out, gone back, gone back, done it again, done it again. As long as it's not a disgusting crime, you know, the, the, the ones that we, we all know what the crimes I'm talking about. I wouldn't mm. go to speak to anybody who did any of those. But, you know, like petty thieves and yeah. stuff, you can learn, you can reform, and you've got to give people chances. You know, I do quite a bit with prisons and stuff and prisoners and certain people are worth giving another chance to and that's not more fool me it's the you know you can only give people so many chances some people do deserve the chance because they're worth it as a person there's something good if you find that something good even if they've been bad for 30 years then there's nothing better than you know like helping someone out by just being there for them and no, um, and seeing and seeing, you know, sometimes they just need to settle down with someone or have a settled life, you know, or you know, have a have a job that they like. Anything yeah. can change your life, but usually it's a bit of love and a bit of support you know, it's, can go a long way because a lot of people are just brought up the wrong way, you know, not even just not have the love when they were little and that, uh, you know, I didn't, it's not my mum's fault, but I, I just think I, um, I was lacking something when I was growing up that I went, I was glue sniffing and wagging it all the time and things kept going wrong and, and I ended up marrying somebody that was, you know, a violent marriage. Maybe, you know, you know, sometimes we've got to look at our parents. We have to, mm. you know, in honesty.
1: Yeah, that's true. And, and you're right. One of the values that we have is walk a mile in another's shoes and that's, it is so important. I mean, Gary Neville said to yeah. me that when you have people in your organisation, say somebody that's been putting the hand in the till. And he said, You've always got to understand yeah. why they're putting the hand in the till. They're not, exactly. they're not doing it because they're greedy necessarily, they're doing it because they're desperate.
0: Some are, and some are greedy. Mm. Some have a problem. Mm. Some of these, are these rich people who rob for other reasons as well? You know, we've seen people, famous people, shoplifting. That's for other reasons as well. Mm. And putting your hand in the till because you're hungry and you're home or mm. starving. It's still not right. There's just it's these different. So every story is different though, and every reason is different. But I I would always listen to why. And I know because he'll know, and I know, and, and I, I know Andy Burnham knows, you know, we know people who've made mistakes because they're desperate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I've got a lot of friends, obviously, who are drug addicts. And I'm saying obviously because I'm in a band, but everybody knows. But I don't mean obviously. Obviously, because I'm from <laughs> Manchester. I've got loads of drug addict friends. No, I don't mean that. Um, no. um but no, when I was married to a drug addict, and you know, you, well, I am mean, more forgiving towards people who are addicted because addiction's a terrible, terrible thing. Mm. And if you can get through it with love and support, mm. you can end up with the best friend, the best. Per- you can be the best person. You can have a great job. You can be. You can help others so much more if you've been through it yourself. You know, I certainly, have. I'm not I'm not an addict in any way, but it's certainly the, the abuse that I suffered, yeah. I'm able to help because of it and not make it uh, one of them things where I abuse other people, which happens a lot. Yes. I uh, try and use it in a good way, you know, and do stuff with the Pankhurst Centre and Women's Aid and stuff. And I can't do it every day because it would bring me on a proper downer. Mm. But um, that's why I don't talk about it constantly because it does bring you on a downer. But it's what you do with whatever's happened to you, it's i could either you know i would i would have died really glue sniffing and in a bad marriage i could have died but because i didn't i think it's really important that if you can survive really bad situations and bad luck because mm. I, I do think I had a lot of bad luck when I was young and even as a singer I had a lot of quite a bit of bad luck people don't realize that now because in social media I've done pretty much I've done quite okay but before social media there's a really there's a bad time you know I had a, you know I lost my living I lost my career I lost everything I had two young children because of an argument you know and a fallout in the band mm. and um, for a few years it was difficult thank god I did 24 hour party people because it kept me a bit sane but, because um, I'm able to live on not much money, that wasn't so much it, it was just the not being able to go on a stage anymore, and having, when you think you've got a career, so, um, but I've had a lot of things where you think it's going well, and then you realise, usually people aren't what you thought they were, mm-hmm. and, or, or they're addicted, or whatever, or things go wrong, and um, yeah, and you can be unlucky, but it's what you do afterwards, yeah. and how you survive is, um, it's fascinating, when I look back, and think what I've been through and got through and i don't know how i did it with two little kids at all yeah i would find it hard now um but i'm very very career minded now and it's not even i don't have enough ambition i wish i was more ambitious and certainly money driven i think it would I think that's why a lot of people do well in this business. They get a manager who can get them loads of money or get them and I don't have all that. I just, I'm more about people and being happy.
1: You're always authentic, Rowetta, and especially when it comes to how you live your life and how you won't do things that aren't true to you or your image. So how do you manage stuff like that?
0: Yeah, so I don't earn as much money maybe as other people or I'm not on television all the time, which would probably make me more money because I just do things that I really genuinely love now and, um, and I have to really love them. You know, just things that I really believe in and not doing, you know, like you won't find me doing um, what's what Mr. and Mrs. <laughs> or anything like that. I, 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 was, I was like that years ago. I was, yeah, yeah. I was like that years ago when they said, uh, would I do OK magazine at home with with Rowetta for OK Magazine when I'd done the x And I didn't want to because I lived with my son at the time who didn't want cameras in the house and knowing everybody knowing where we live. Remember, I've been an abused wife. I don't want my ex-husband yeah. seeing where I live and how I live exactly. I think you can get yourself into trouble saying, look what I've got. So, that, So what the OK Magazine said was, you don't have to use your house. And that's even worse. <laughs> Just choose what you like. Living. Yeah, can you do it in a flat in London and pretend it's yours? Well, that's even. That's everything I hate. And then, and then they offer you more money. And then you go, no. And then they go, and there's another 10 that, no. Oh. <laughs> oh that, don't write stop now because if you offer me anymore i'll probably say yes that's what you and it's so, the so same with things like the jungle and big brother you, mm. you just worry because you go god if they offer me you anymore this, this there are everybody's got a price you think and you're like yeah. i don't want to do it though don't want to do it So you know it's like i would I think i would have been terrible on big brother i think not would smash the house up you know it's it's just because the people they, they do your heading when you can't get away from people why I wouldn't ever do a cruise ship? How do you get away
1: from people? Oh God, absolutely! On a ship? No, I, I couldn't ever do a cruise. No. no, And just so, just on your your charity work. I mean, you, you've done loads. You? I mean, I've seen it at so many events, and you know, you're always giving your time up for people to help and use your platform. Um, why is it so important to you? Well,
0: it's it's only important though for the ones that I really believe in. Things yeah. like the Christie, which yeah. you're doing, and obviously Women's Aid and Pankhurst. Mm. And it's just important because it means so much to me to give back it's easy for me to remember how low it was certainly for the the ladies i lived with in the women's aid refuge i lived there for five months um the people i lived with that were that were had heroin addicts husbands like mine or being beaten up i'll never forget things i've got so many friends that passed away from cancer that have been treated in the Christie. Mm. um you know i'm ambassador of manchester dogs home things like that because obviously everyone knows i love dogs but then because of the internet now they see you do a Christie ball, and then everybody writes to you the day, can you do me a favour? Would you come and sing in Peterborough for Cats in Need? And it's not that I don't like cats. It's Peterborough, and it's not dogs, so I'm not coming. <laughs> so But nothing against cats or Peterborough, but it's too far. So I like doing stuff locally, and I think you should anyway, And because it, it's easy for me as well to so say... Of course I can do that on Monday. Yes, I can. And you don't have to let people down because it is difficult. You do have to try and balance it with gigs. But, I mean, I get asked every day, every day, much more than once, mm. to either, can you post this for me, this just-giving page? Can you do this? Can you donate to this? Can you sing at this? Can you walk for this? I'm not walking, <laughs> so don't ever ask me. Anybody, stop asking me to do marathons. 10K, 10K, no. 5K, no. It's for this. I don't care. I'm not walking for anything. No, no. I did the mile in Manchester, whatever it was I did. And I was singing at the end. And that was my excuse why I cheated. Cause I got caught cheating cause they were <laughs> filming it. And I, it was only one mile and I cut through Albert Square I cut and went through the railings I ended up in second place <laughs> because I'm cheating so, but I, I, I just cut through <laughs> where the railings were and it's Richard whatever he's called Richard Fleishman went what are you doing here as you as he ran past me because I was, I was like in front of him <laughs> I'm so sorry because I'm sitting and I got away with it because I was singing at the end when everyone had finished but yeah so oh. I'm, I'm not a runner I'm not running I'm not walking I'm not doing anything to exercise and they say dog walks and I have to, I have to say it's because, because, and my dog has got cancer. But I have to blame it being the fact that the dog's old. It's me. It's me. I'm not a walker. I'll <laughs> sing at anything. I don't fight. Loud and no. clear.
1: No running no. for a no. letter. <laughs> no,
0: okay. no, no, so, I'm not doing anything. I'm not. Well, walk- I know I won't walk anywhere. I'm getting attacked. I get. I'll get a taxi to the shop. down <laughs> Sponsored the road.
1: Uber. So let's talk yeah. about just um, coming towards the end now. But let's just talk about your other massive passion, which is United. Yeah, you obviously very close to a lot of the legends and the club, and I know you kind of you've been a lot to their gigs, haven't you, and supported them from a charity. So, what what's your views yeah. on Ronaldo coming back to Manchester?
0: Well, it's a dream country. I've been saying for years, I wanted him back. Mm. I didn't want him to leave. But um, what it is with Ronaldo is the same as Canton, really, you know that the they had a great uh, relationship with Sir Alex Ferguson. Mm. Um, they they really did affect for most people who grew up through those years where we won loads. The right, these amazing golden years under Alex Ferguson Ronaldo and now was so important to that and we don't know what, what would have happened if they weren't there but it was so important to them Manchester they just fell in love with Manchester mm. as a place and the and the people and the fans not even just Manchester fans they enjoyed living here yeah. and they still have great affection to, for Manchester and I love that and as just as I hate Tevis because he slagged off Manchester or Di, Di Marillo Di Mario had a bad time in Manchester but you don't you know he should say nicer things mm. than he does um and I just but I just I mean Canson I always say he was my favourite player but he's not he's not fanciable like that way he's just he just made me love football yeah. and then when Ronaldo came along it's that magical thing he has mm. and it's like now when people are saying about his age but he's just still got it he's unique you know in that he's just amazing yeah. but it was a dream come true I've wanted him for years I just didn't think it'd ever happen <laughs> you just don't think it'd no. ever happen if I'd known like, at 36 he was going to leave Juventus you know and then I know that Sir Alex Ferguson could talk him round. When they said City, I would have been heartbroken yeah. if he'd gone to the City, but I just didn't believe he would. The thought of it, I was starting to feel really, really angry <laughs> as well. And um, but I thought he won't, he can't, he wouldn't do that to us. I would never believed he would. Mm. Thank God he didn't. Yeah,
1: you know? amazing. Well, yeah, and I've never seen as many happy faces at Old Trafford as uh, it that. It's just first incredible. Game. The atmosphere. Yes. It was
0: just. There's been moments where we've won trebles mm. and stuff, but. This after so long of this horrible and it was this horrible gloom where City are doing better than us. It's just been awful where where we're like City used to be where winning a derby is everything. You know, beating Liverpool is always everything. But um, I didn't. It, I want us to be winning like we used to, you know, because we can win Champions League and City can't. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Might, you never know. No, they should have. They should have done better. I can't believe Liverpool won it again. But with um, the team we've got, I'm always believed. But you know, a few years ago, I was just saying I believe, like Ronaldo was saying, because I'm a United fan, we've got to believe. And I was, I was being a pundit on BBC Radio Manchester, but I was, I didn't really believe anymore. I was like, I'm blacking mm-hmm. it here because I don't believe, and I don't even want to go to the games anymore mm-hmm. under David Moyes. I didn't want to. Then Van Havan Hal, I went to the Players Player of the Year award, and he just was waffling and talking rubbish. And um, at the time, I wanted Mourinho, and that didn't work. So now I love Ollie. Mm. I just love everything about it. I'm really blessed that I get to sing for them sometimes and sing for the sponsors. My dream come true would be, I think I've sung nearly everywhere in Manchester, just not on the pitch at Old Trafford. And my voice has been heard at games quite a lot with with Happy Mondays. But if there's any, if ever a gig came up at Old Trafford, most of the gigs now they're at Etihad as well. I think the Stone Roses did Etihad, but... I would love at some point to sing. I mean, I've done a tune with Paul Well, and maybe something like that. Maybe we could do that at Old Trafford. But that's my dream. Let's put it out I've sung there. At Old Trafford. I've <laughs> sung in the suites and stuff quite a lot uh, for the sponsors, which has been amazing. I actually sang This Is The One with a legend from each table. Gary Neville was one of them. Bobby Charlton, Sir Bobby Charlton. Dennis Violet, one of the older players. You know, Dennis Irwin, Brian Robson, all joining me. Ten legends joining me while I'm singing. And I was like, (laughs) nobody was videoing it. I was gutted, (laughs) but it was was one of the most amazing moments. What amazing. Um, Yeah, for me, and I've got to try and sing and keep it together. It It was, wow. Yeah, it was just surreal. For me, they're like pop stars. You know, there's only really David Bowie and things. But once you get to know them, they're just dead normal people. i really good friends with David May, Gary Neville. I've seen out loads and loads, and Paul Sculls. You see them all mm-hmm. at these charity events as well. Gary Neville, I've always gone and chatted to, and I always have a laugh. We have photos taken with loads of people on the pictures. And they go, "It's all right." I'll cut them all off, and it'll just look like just me and you chatting that. <laughs> <laughs> which I do. I always do that. And Ryan Giggs. Everybody I've known them since they were boys, since they were class of ninety two. Yeah. But yeah, like your superstars like your Cantonars and your Sir Alex Ferguson, they to me are like David Bowie, you know. Yeah. So uh,
1: that's...
0: But the rest of them, I do, as I see them as like seeing bandmates. You know, they've been to quite a few of our gigs. Quite a lot of them came to the Manchester Arena Gig we did in '99. I remember Schmeichel. I think he's in our video and mm. Ryan Giggs and people were there. So we're really, really lucky. If you're in a band in Manchester and or when you play football, a lot of us get to see each other quite a bit, and it's nice.
1: Apparently, Pogba was on the stage at Part Life in the end of the night. He was a store, a is store, yeah. a video.
0: I think there were a few. a, bit, a few players went went to Part Life afterwards, which is amazing. But well, Sasha Lord's such a big red as well. Yeah, he's often at Players Player of the Year with me, and um, yeah, he's, he was so over the moon. Imagine getting Pogba, on he was great as well.
1: <laughs> I couldn't believe it. We've got a quick fire Manchester round. How right. would you describe Manchester to somebody who's never visited?
0: It's the centre of the universe. <laughs> I love it. That's what, that's what I always say. We know to people who go, where is it you're from? I go, Manchester, the centre of the universe. That's all I'm saying. That's all you need to say. Yeah, no, you could go into detail, but you said it's quick fire. That's it's it. The no, that, you've
1: you nailed it. What do you miss most about Manchester when you're not here? The humour, mm. the the
0: humour. Oh, oh, having said that, though, it's getting worse. When you come home, it's full full of people that from Manchester. Oh. So I used I used to miss more the humour. Um, no, I, I, obviously I miss my dogs. So I, miss <laughs> in I don't care about anything else. When when I'm away, though, I do. I, it's home. You just it's home for me. So. Just when you land, it's home. Mm. I even miss the weather here mm. in the summer because I like our summers. So, mm. yeah, but there's quite a few things I miss. But, yeah, as I say, you would have used to have said the people and the clubs and this and that. It's not that because you can get a lot of that on social media as well and on television. But it is just that feeling you get when, you, when you're when you from here, when you're really from here. The humour, though, every time. Yeah,
1: yeah. And what do you order at the chippy? Oh, <laughs> oh well, is it an English chippy? Well, any chippy? They're all chippies here, aren't they? What do you?
0: <laughs> I like. I do like a takeaway carvery. Takeaway <laughs> carvery. I do go and get because I love crispy roast potatoes. But no, the chippy. Probably I order pudding, chips, peas, and gravy. But I really like bacon, egg, chips, peas and gravy, but I do want a chip it. So there's loads of different <laughs> takeaways, loads of these chippies that do bacon, egg, chips, peas and gravy. And you can ask other places and they go, you are? Bacon, <laughs> egg from breakfast. It's true. Do, do, do what, you mean bacon, egg on a balm with chips? No, I want bacon, egg, chips, peas and gravy, which they have. You can see all them items, but they don't know how to put them together in a tray. Well, how much would that be? They don't know how to work out the price. Because they've got a bacon, and egg balm there. It takes them ages. Bacon, <laughs> egg balm. And does the gravy go on top of it? Oh, (laughs) peas. Do you want the peas on the chips with the great Yes, all in one tray. Bacon, egg, chips, peas, and oh, just give me pudding, chips, peas, and gravy because they can't work it out. <laughs> Otherwise, you've got to have a balm. Yes, and that's why I love Manchester because literally you can bring the chippy to the standstill by saying bacon, egg, chips, peas, and gravy. What? <laughs> and that when I was pregnant, when I was pregnant with one of my kids, I, that was my craving. A ninety-nine and a twist comb was one of them, and bacon, egg, chips, peas, and gravy was the other one. And but back in Berry, I used to have the same place; it wouldn't be a problem. Now it's a problem because it can't work out how much it is. And right. I'm sure I end up paying more than I should. I think it's £4.20 they charged me last time. I'm sure it should have been a bit less.
1: I've never even heard of that combo. So that is the first time on <laughs> We Built This City. Right?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and listen, so thank you so much for joining us. And obviously it's been an absolute pleasure. And I've been wanting to have you on the show for ages, but because you were so busy oh, there's so you. many things going on and your story is so inspiring and it's your values are so Mancunian and some of the stories you told today Honestly, they've actually had me howling. So thank you for entertaining me too.
0: And I'm doing a book at last because I was really, really blessed actually. There's a magazine called The Gentlewoman, which is really posh. And it's too posh for me that I've never, you know, and it comes out twice a year. And Scarlett Johansson was on the front of the one I was doing. And it's Stella McCartney. And the lady, the lady who's the editor is a big fan of Happy Mondays and me specifically because she saw me in Glasgow in 1990 or something and she's never forgotten my performance so she she did a four page feature with Pam Hogg who's my friend dressed me yeah. and during lockdown sent a proper film crew and everything to factory and they did it, we did it all in factory spent the whole day for this feature and then Jude Rogers, who does uh, The Observer, I think she mm. writes for it. She's an incredible mm. writer. She, I just did um, a piece with her. This feature, and when I read it back, that's when I thought, God, I'm going to do a book because it reads really well, and you don't realize and oh, when, gonna... when
1: do we think we're going to see the book out on the shelves?
0: Well, I've only just got the offer about a month ago from one lady who wanted to do the book, Comrade, um, who manages Stone Roses and Mm -hmm. Blossoms. He put this girl forward. And um, as soon as I got, it's really weird, I got the phone call from her, I had a chat with her about it, and she said her agent's really good. And then I got a call from a publisher the same day that somebody in Manchester wants to do it. Um, So we're just at the moment, we're talking about money at the moment, advances and all that. It's looking good, because I'm thinking, you know, I've just spent all my savings, and then you get an advance on a book. It's a good reason to do it because yeah. I'm ready to do a book anyway. But I'm also ready, willing to wait if I start to go in that place again where I get too upset writing it. Now I've got gigs again. I don't have to do it for the money. I've always said I wouldn't do a book for the money. But um, I think I've got a great story to tell. Since my brother died not so long ago as well, just a couple of months ago, it, that put me in a different position as well where I want to tell people about my dad and stuff. Because it, it, it is interesting. He, is a, he was a politician who got assassinated.
1: Rowetta, well, listen, we need another episode when that book comes out. You've got so many interesting stories and it's been absolutely lovely talking to you. So thank you so much for coming on We Built the City.
0: Right, you're welcome. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. Sorry I taught so much <laughs> you've asked to ask <laughs> many questions. It. All
1: right, see you then. Rowetta built this city by always being Mancunian through and through, by having no filter And by bringing the chippy to a standstill by ordering egg, bacon, chips, peas and gravy with a bar. If you want to find out more about how Roland Dransfield can help you to drive your values and create relationships that build your business success, then head over to rdpr.co.uk or you can find us on Instagram at Roland Dransfield or Twitter at rdprtweets. Or feel free to give us a call at the office on the same number we've had for 25 years on 0161 236 1122. In the meantime, don't forget to rate, review and follow We Built This City. Thank you. Before you go, I just wanted to let you know that there's a bonus episode of We Built This City next week when I welcome back Greater Manchester's Mayor Andy Burnham. That'll be available on the 14th of October.